Father, again, we thank you that you are a God who comes close to us. Lord, we thank you for today that we can just stop even after the busyness of Christmas, as we've remembered, reflected and responded uh, of that very first Christmas when you sent your son Jesus. Lord, but I just pray right now, uh, you'd come meet us where we're at, that we'd be able to remove any distractions or thoughts or whatever it is, and, and just listen to what you have to share with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I did, I did mention uh, last, I think it was last Sunday or the one before, uh, that I was going, we're having Christmas lunch at my mum's and dad's house. It was beautiful. It was a great morning. And I did say that I would be ranking her cooking. Um, so I just want to let you know it was a nine and a half out of ten. Not quite as good as last year. But uh, no, actually it was very good. Beautiful lasagna, chicken. It went, I, we ate for a whole week and you probably can tell. Um, but, so yeah, there you go. Some people were a bit wondering what the score would have been. Nine and a half out of ten. Hands up if you got a Christmas present. Most people, okay. Do you know Australians spent around 800 million, nearly a billion dollars on Christmas gifts? And out of that a billion dollars worth, there's something like 20 million unwanted gifts, um, which is a lot. 20 million unwanted gifts. Has anyone taken back a gift? Anyone taken back a gift to the... No one's, no one's willing to admit that they've taken back a gift. American Express did a survey on Christmas gifts and, and one of the questions they asked was, how do you dispose of a bad gift? How do you move on a bad gift? 30% said they would hide it in the closet. Any closet hiders? No? Oh, there, there we go, one there. Uh, 21% said they would return it. I think that's, that's okay if you've got the receipt. Return it. And 19%, I reckon there's a few people here, that would rewrap it and give the gift to someone else. Come on, let me see. Yeah, there you go, most 19%. So if you get a gift from one of these people, you know someone else has probably given that to them as well. What about the worst Christmas present? They did some study on that as well. The majority of worst Christmas presents, they said, was due to a lack of sufficient thought or understanding of the recipient, so not knowing what the person likes, and I'm a bit of a money giver or, or a gift card giver person. I, I don't really, I'm not really interested what you want. Here you go, <laughs> you you make the decision yourself. Uh, other bad gifts included those that were inappropriate, tacky, cheap, or just plain useless. Uh, most common unwanted gifts: underwear, but they're very usable, obviously, uh, but still uncommon. Uh, socks and bath products. Bath products. Any hands up if you've got any bath products? How's it if you've even got a bath? Do people even have a bath these days? Okay, I can't remember the last time I had a bath. Our worst example, someone gave tandoori spice rub for chicken given to a vegetarian. Um, someone gave a dog bowl f to someone who doesn't even have a dog. A brick, not sure what that's about. Cellulite cream. Imagine giving someone cellulite cream. We even had a youth pastor up here talking about buying a vax vacuum for his wife that's terrible uh when it comes to gifts but guess what american express they found that the worst gift and I, i'm not sure about this was fruitcake do you agree with that i love fruitcake I, I love food um but I, i'm not sure where that is research uh what we don't like about christmas 33 percent of the people are asked commercialism materialism 22 percent said uh, the money and the expense 15% shopping in the crowds. Oh, I can't stand the shopping in the crowds. I, I, yeah, it's not good. 
Um, I start frothing from the mouth and getting itchy. And Anyway, 15%, the hectic pace, uh, bad moods of people. Hands up if we get another show of hands. Hands up if you had any bad-mooded people at Christmas this year. Oh, we got a few. One over there, over here. Wasn't your wife, was it, Gareth? No. Um, we actually didn't. We had, a, we had a great Christmas. No fights, which is uncommon. Um, really good. And then 2% of people said that one thing they don't like about Christmas is the pressure to go to church. The pressure. Mm, interesting. Okay. I don't know if that's one of you guys. Here's a question. Maybe the kids can also answer this. Who are the main characters? When it comes to Christmas, who are the main players in the Christmas story? Mary and Joseph. Yep. Charlie? Mary and Joseph. Who else? Jesus. He's, he plays a pretty crucial role, old Jesus. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, three wise men. The wise men, good job. Okay, so lots of... Yes, Josephine. Angels. The angels play a pretty important role. Uh, Innkeeper, angels, wise men, shepherds, Mary, Joseph, Herod. He played a a, a significant role. Now you might think, what is Anthony going on? Christmas was last week. Why are we still talking about Christmas? Well, we're going to look at a passage that is very much a part of the Christmas story and actually is uh, right connected to the Christmas story. Uh, only six weeks after the birth of Jesus, we, we read this, this story, but at, we don't really commonly hear about this story. Way before the wise men, this, this story happens. Um, and we're going to look at some individuals, two new individuals that are very much part of the Christmas story. You won't see them on a Christmas card. You won't see them in a nativity play. You won't see or hear Christmas carols sung about them but they are very much a part of the Christmas story, the event where God becomes man. And so let's have a look at Luke chapter 2. I don't have any PowerPoint slides for you today, so you're just going to have to listen to the the, the Scriptures being read. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, and we're going to read right up to 40 this morning. Now this is, again, some six weeks after the birth of Jesus, we get this account, we get this event. Uh, And so again, it's or this, is, this should be in the Christmas story uh, when, we, when we tell it. Here it is here. Oh, you do. Look at that. There we go. It might be a slightly different translation, but let's get into it. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angels had given um, him before he had been conceived. Then six weeks on, we read this. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had uh, being completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem. Now remember they were in Bethlehem and so they move up to Jerusalem as about give or take eight, ten k's away uh, and they go there to the temple to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So Jesus has been born. Jesus is only a baby. They wrap, get their stuff together. They get their little carrier case, whatever you do, put Jesus in there. And they head, it's a bit of a journey again, to go to the temple. Now remember, who dwelt in the temple? God. God's Spirit was in the temple. If you wanted to get close to God, where would you go? You'd go to the temple. 
And so they head to the temple to honour or to uh, um, play out, not play out, but to the commandment of consecrated the firstborn child, which is theirs. And so they do that. Why? Because they are righteous people. They are followers of Yahweh. They're followers of the Bible. And so they do that. And we again get another little quick snapshot that actually Mary and Joseph are, 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 are poor people. They're simple, poor people. And actually Jesus is born in poverty. The law allowed this here, that a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, a lot of people wouldn't just... That was for people who couldn't afford to, to bring a sacrifice. People would bring a lamb or, or a bull. But if you don't have much money, this, this, the law allowed this for the poor, a pair of doves or, or two young pigeons. And so that's what Mary and Joseph bring. We've got to remind ourselves again, and we know that Jesus was, was, was poor. Jesus was raised in this kind of poor, didn't have, he wasn't splendorous and gold and, and all that kind of stuff. But he's, he's raised there. And, and Mary and Joseph want to do what's right. They want to honor their God and so they head to Jerusalem. Look what happens then. And then it says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Turn to the person next to you and say Simeon. Not cinnamon. cinnamon C- Simeon. Who was righteous and devout. There's some pretty cool characteristics that the, the scripture refers to the Simeon as righteous and devout. Righteous meaning he, he is right with God or we, he's a good moral person and devout means he's, he's committed, he's a follower of Yahweh, he's a follower of the Old Testament commandments and instructions and he's someone who is waiting for who? The Messiah, the Saviour. Someone who will redeem the people of Israel, in fact, the whole world. A righteous and devout. And look what else we find out. He was waiting for the consultation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So again, this guy is righteous. He's a devout uh, follower and also he has the Holy Spirit on him. Now this is before Pentecost, this is before the Holy Spirit comes down, before Jesus has to leave so the, 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 the comfort of the counselor comes and then, and then moving forward we read that the Holy Spirit indwells all those who believe. But this, this individual here, Simeon, has the Holy Spirit now. That says something about him, doesn't it? That he is a dedicated and devout follower of Yahweh and the Holy Spirit is upon him. He had been revealed to, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that he would not die, that Simeon would not die um, before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he'd seen the Saviour, before he'd seen the Messiah, before he'd seen the Son of God, Simeon would not die. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents and Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus to, to do for him what the custom the law required, to do that, the offering of those sacrifices, verse 28 says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Almost a, a, a Simba-like moment. You know when, is it, Mif- no, the, 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 wasn't, lifts up the little uh, Simba and, the circle of life and holds him and presents him and and this is kind of like uh, Simeon he grabs baby Jesus and is like praising God praising God and and saying look what he says verse 29 says sovereign Lord as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace just as you promised God that I would see the Savior now I can die basically is what Simeon is saying 
For my eyes have seen your salvation. His eyes have seen his own salvation through Jesus. Salvation has come through Jesus, which you have repaired in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. Simeon holding up Jesus. And then he, then he, then he prophesies. And, and the stuff he says is not great stuff. Look at what he says about Jesus. Well, it is, but as a parent, it would be quite uh, uh, disturbing in some ways to hear this. Look, look what he says about uh, Jesus. The child's father and mother marveled, so Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be uh, a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow. That Jesus, even though he comes to bring salvation, you can't sit on the fence with Jesus, can you? You're either for Jesus or against Jesus. And, and Jesus will do that naturally. People will either be against him or, or will follow him. And Mary has to observe all of this. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Then verse 36, we're introduced to another character. This time it's a prophetess Anna, a female, uh, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. Uh, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She stayed at the temple. She stayed close to God. And she too was what? waiting for the saviour, waiting for the redeemer, waiting for the messiah, the coming king, the coming king of Israel, the coming king of kings and, and um, she's there waiting, she hasn't left the temple. Verse 38 says, coming up to them at the very moment, so she sees them, she knows that this is the saviour, she knows that this baby Jesus is the saviour. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, so Simeon and Anna, they, they, they know who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's revealed it to them. They're close to God and, and they're so excited, so pumped that they've seen the Messiah, they've seen the Saviour. Verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee uh, to their own town. Then it says that Jesus, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and grace. The grace of God was uh, upon him. So very much again, part of the Christmas story. Both Simeon and Anna should be in those nativity plays in many ways. It happens a couple of weeks or six weeks after the birth of Jesus. And it's again pointing. There's almost this, there's this, this aspect of this transitioning from the old covenant to the new covenant. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen until Jesus uh, is, is, dies on the cross and raises again. But the fact that Jesus comes to the temple, he is, and they offer a sacrifice. Ultimately, Jesus would be the sacrifice, wouldn't he? That he would pay the price. There would be no need to offer a sacrifice for the payment of sins or, or, an, or to be made right with God. And, and, and so Jesus, as a baby, comes to the temple where God is there, where God dwells. And ultimately, again, as we move forward in, in the new covenant, that the Holy Spirit would take up residence, the naos. He takes up residence in you, that you become a temple, that we, the church, becomes his temple. 
And so you see this is kind of almost a, the starting of this transition. But I want to look at just three things that I want to encourage us to maybe do moving into the next year, moving into 2014. And the first thing is, I want to encourage us to become a marveller. I don't even know, is that a word, a marveller? Some, uh, to, to marvel? Would you, is that a marveller? Someone who is marvel, marvelling. When you marvel at something, you're amazed, aren't you? The word marvel means to be filled with wonder or astonishment or, or surprise. Because in verse 33, it says that what? Joseph and Mary, what? They marveled. Some translations say they were amazed. But they marveled at what was said about Jesus. Now, I'm sure throughout the life of Jesus, they marveled. Imagine Jesus being, if you're, if you're a brother, a sister of Jesus. Like, who was that? Oh, it was Jesus. Jesus, was it you? No, it wasn't me. You know, you couldn't, you wouldn't, poor, poor, poor being a brother of Jesus, because he always told the truth, so they'd always just ask him, who was it, Jesus? Oh, it was yeah, him. Oh, man, Jesus, you snitched on me again. Um, but they would have marveled at the things of Jesus. We don't know half the stuff. We didn't, you know, half, it's written here and we marvel at that. But imagine the things that Mary and Joseph saw and experienced and heard, tasted and smelt. That was, that was their experience. I want to encourage us, encourage you to become a marveller. To become a marveller. When was the last time you marveled at the things of Jesus? When was the last time you read something about Jesus and went, wow. Or experienced something in your faith and went, wow. Or is it just ho-hum? I come to church, sing us some songs, listen to this guy and leave. It's just ho-hum. But actually, we want to be marvellous. We have, a, again, if, if you're a Christian, the Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Are you filled with wonder? Are you filled with astonishment uh, when you read and hear about the life of Jesus? Does Jesus still amaze you? I've heard that story. Yeah, walking on water, who cares? It's old. Does the things of Jesus still amaze you? You know, if the only, one of the other things is if, if your only testimony is, is when you became a Christian, if that's the only story you have of a connection or, or, or an experience with Jesus, you've got to ask the question, are you, actually, are you living led by the Spirit? Because we should be marveling and astonished and amazed at the things that Jesus does in, in our lives. We should pick this up and it should amaze us. It should, we should marvel at it. We should, we should soak ourselves in it and go, wow, this is incredible. And one of the things, two reasons, there may be more uh, when it becomes a bit of a hindrance to us marveling or to, be, to marvel at the things of Jesus. One is we limit God. We, we put God in a box. We have it so comfortable, don't we, uh, here in, in Parkerville or in Perth. You know, Perth is probably the, I might be biased, but it's a pretty good place to live in, eh? Well, if not the best place in the world. We have, we're, we're safe, we have food, we have beautiful, um, what's the word, weather. It's, you know, we don't really have too many natural disasters. Fire's probably the only one, I know it's a touchy subject. But, but, but really, we've got it pretty good here, don't we? And so it's so easy, just we don't, we don't need God. And, and there's, a, there's a temptation, or sorry, not a temptation, there's a risk that we can almost become Christian atheists in that we, we say that we believe in a God or we say that God is real, but we live as if God 
is not real. Does that make sense? And, and because we don't marvel at God, because we, we don't need God. Our daily bread, I just come to the pantry, there's enough bread there for the next six, you know, I've got so much food. I remember even when we had, we had a Kia Carnival, uh, when our kids were little, I reckon I could survive off the food in the back of that car for six months, the amount of McDonald's chips and stuff and on the floor. But we have so much food, don't we? We don't need, we, we don't need, it's almost like we don't need God. And so the danger is we become a Christian atheist. Yes, I believe there is a God, but I live my life as if there isn't a God. I don't step out, I don't rely on Him, I don't ask Him to reveal Himself to me. I live comfortable. I'm a comfortable Christian. The other thing that we can do is, uh, when it comes to marveling, is the second thing is that, that we, we've lost our first love. And now, we can get so caught up in uh, being, uh, doing Christianity that we, we forget about being, we forget about actually it's a relationship. We come to church, we serve on this team, or we do this, or, or we do that, and that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if, if, if that becomes our faith, and I've, I've in my pastoral uh, ministry, I, there's numerous times I've met with people who have kind of walked away from the faith in that their only connection with their faith was actually serving God. Does that? And so when something goes wrong, especially in that area, they leave. That's not to say that things should go wrong, but, but if, if our faith is strong and our faith is based in a relationship with God, if things happen in those areas, it shouldn't affect that. But if our relationship is grounded in just the doing, then there's a problem. Look what uh, Jesus uh, said in Revelation uh, 2 uh, to the church of Ephesus. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship in, in my name, for my name, and have not grown weary. These are all really good things. And then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You don't marvel at, at, at me anymore. There's no astonishment. And God tells in, in this, uh, Jesus to the church at Ephesus, hardworking Christians, sin-hating Christians, doctrine-loving Christians, they're even persecuted. He says, that's great, but you've lost your first love. That's the relationship. Are you spending time with me? Become a marveler. How are you going in that area? Moving into 2024, how can you marvel at the things of Jesus? How can you be more astonished? Well, firstly, maybe even try to step out of faith, out in faith, sorry, and not rely on your own uh, things, but be, be rely on God. He's in control. And then come back to that first love. And that comes from relationship. If I say I love my wife and the only, only, I only spend once, once a, one day a year with her, what is she going to see that as? She might be quite happy, actually. Um, <laughs> probably not. But it's about relationship. It's about time and, and, and spending time and reading. So become a marveler. The second one is become a mover. Become a mover. Simeon, it says in verse 27, moved by the Spirit. Move is an action word, isn't it? Moving means to go, to step. As Christians, we want to be movers. 
So often we can just sit and wait. No, we want to be movers, become a mover. Simeon, verse 20, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Verse 28, this is uh, Anna uh, coming up to them, coming up to them the very moment she gave thanks. She moved, she came to them, she went to them. Both Simeon and Anna were movers. The Holy Spirit prompts, the Holy Spirit says move, they don't sit still. When we read through the Bible, we see a Bible full of movers. Mary, you're going to have a child, you're going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be the saviour of the world. How does Mary act? She says, your will be done, as it is. She moves. The disciples, drop your nets, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They drop their nets. Now, they don't always get it right, but they move. There's action. We, sometimes we just sit and sit and wait and wait. Then we put a committee and a meeting and, and vote, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it's just so, we have to get everything lined up, and then we don't do anything. Jesus says, move. Move by the Holy Spirit. Come, follow me. Move, there's movement out. How is God calling you to move? Maybe right now, moving into the next year, God is calling you to something new. And you may, if you do step into that, if you do move, you may be marveled. You may be, whoa! We miss so many things because we're too afraid to move or we're too lazy to move or we're just too status quo to move. Can't be bothered. Become a mover. Become a mover. I remember, uh, this is going back a while and, I was always scared to go to Bible college. You know, I went to Calmerscott High School. The, the motto there was strive for excellence. I don't think anyone ever got hit it, um, but everyone was striving. Um, none of us reached it. Um, and, you know, English was like my fifth language. I struggled through school. I don't know what my first five were, but, but and so I hated school. I only went to school to eat my lunch. I've said that a few times. And, and so when God says, I want you to go to Bible college, I was like, oh, man. And I put that off for years. I put that off and it kept coming back. I want you to go to Bible college. I want you to go. And it was one day, it was in, uh, we were on holidays in the Gold Coast and um, I went for a bit of a run and um, boom, God hit me with this Bible passage. Second uh, Timothy, First Timothy, where it says, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. You know that passage? And then it goes on, uh, preach the word in season, out season, do all that and, and remain faithful. And I went, I, I, he gave me the reference, I didn't know it. And I went home and I read it and I was like, boom. It's like, how much more clearer do I need? To, I need to move. I need to respond to the Holy Spirit. And, and I did. And it took, I think I was the longest, it took me, eventually I think they just gave me a degree because I was there that long because I was working full time and I was, I was pastoring as well and, and I just, and it was some, it was great but it was hard but, and at first three, three or four years was just me in my own insecurities but you know what? God blesses because you step out and you move. You move forward. What is, what is God calling you to move to? It might be something simple. It might be move towards a person to help. It might be uh, a move to, to, to serve in a certain areas. It might be move in, a, in a, an action or a response or a behavior. What is he calling you to move? When Jesus calls, we are people, the Holy Spirit prompts. I've always found it's better just to step it, just go. And if you, don't, you might think, is this God? Doesn't, just try. You know, obviously if it's a, completely against the scriptures, 
you know, to do something wrong, then it's not, it's not of God. But I always think we spend so much time trying to figure it out that actually we miss it. Just step out and see what happens. Um, become a mover. So marvellous mover. And then the third last one is become a messenger. Become a messenger. Um, when, when you, interesting, when you work on becoming a marveller, you start to become more of a mover and it's almost automatic that you can't stop. You, have, you become a messenger. It's a natural thing to tell other people. We see here in verse uh, 38, uh, Anna, what did she do? She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jesus. She had to tell people about Jesus. She's a messenger. Become a messenger. That's our role, is to be messengers. That's all. In fact, we, we don't even have to worry about the end result. Sometimes we get so caught up, oh, they haven't responded, or they haven't come to church, or they haven't become a... That's not even our responsibility. Our role is to tell people about Jesus, to, sh- to show, throw the seed out, so to speak. The Holy Spirit's role, God's responsibility is there, but our role is to be faithful and obedient to be a messenger to share about Jesus, to show people Jesus, to live like Jesus, to, to tell people about how you're a Christian. No, why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? Why do you believe in Jesus? How does Jesus change your life? Why do you marvel at the things of God? You need to have all that and then tell other people about that. I remember, um, I might have shared this story. I was preaching at Lakeside one day and I, I was about to get up on uh, um, stage to preach and uh, God said to me there's a guy that's come into the congregation he's sitting right behind you and he's here for your message I'm like, okay um, and I literally had a, almost a picture of him I didn't look back but I kind of could picture who he was and so I've gone up on stage and as I've gone up to preach he gets up and leaves and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I didn't do that. I'm thinking, hang on a sec. I haven't even started talking. And, and God's, God's um, laid that this message is for this individual. It was, a, it was an awesome message, by the way. No, <laughs> it was about, it was about uh, Jesus healing uh, the leper and made him clean. He was dirty and he became clean and his sins were forgiven, all this kind of stuff. And, and I was just like turning in my spirit and, and I'm like, who is this guy? And anyway, if ironically someone else in the congregation knew him and came and spoke to me after the service and said this guy here he's going to jail soon uh, he's gonna he's, he was in dealing drugs he's gonna go to jail probably for a long time and I'm like oh, okay well God kind of I sense God saying that this message was for him and he said well here's his phone number ring him and I'm like what I haven't rung many drug dealers lately um but I was, I was nervous, I was scared, and that's where God said, no, you're a messenger, your job is just to share it, allow him, he'll deal with it, whatever he, how he interprets it, he interprets it. So I ring him up, uh, and I said, hey mate, how are you going? Name's Anthony. Oh, funny enough, he knew, he knew me, because the reason he came to the church was because he played basketball there, and he was searching, and so he felt comfortable, and he came to the church, and he actually knew, seen me walking around the building for, for, for years, and he said, oh, yeah, I know who you are. And I said, well, this is gonna, may seem a bit strange, but when I got up, God told me that the message I was about to preach was for you. And he said, oh, man, that's weird because when you got up, I thought the message you're about to preach was for me. And so I thought I had to leave because I didn't want to hear it. I was scared. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I was like, so, so now I, I sense I have to tell you, uh, I want to tell you about this. And I just told him about the story of the leper and how he was made clean. And he's just crying on the phone. He's like, I feel ashamed. I've let my family down. I feel so, I feel so dirty. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a, he was a, he was a criminal, but he wasn't a criminal, if that makes sense. He got in and started selling. He had no street smarts or anything like that. And he's like, I shouldn't have, all this, all this guilt and who would forgive me? He kept saying, the universe won't forgive me. I said, the universe won't forgive you, but Jesus will. Jesus made this leper who was dirty and he was, and we went for about 45 minutes. And, and that was it. Now, I didn't, I didn't hear from him. He wrote a few, we, he actually wrote me a few letters and we, I wrote him a few while he was in prison. He did, I think, about seven years, actually. Um, but I don't know what happened. Um, but, but, again, that's not my, my, my role was to share it, to, to bring, I'm, the, I'm a messenger, I bring the information. And I could have maybe, we can journey with people, don't get me wrong, but our role is to respond in obedience. When God says move, we move and we share the message. Messenger, uh, marveler, mover, and messenger. So moving into 2024, is there any areas, maybe you think, oh, I need to do more marveling, I need to do more moving, I need to do more messaging. What is it? Or maybe it's a combination of all three. Let me pray. Most gracious Father, ask the worship team to come up. We thank you again that, that your word is alive and active. And uh, we read this story of uh, Simeon, and Anna, who was so excited, so excited that they, they worshipped you, that they marveled, that they were moved, and that they, they shared, they were messengers, they wanted to tell others uh, about your son, Jesus, Father. Lord, help us, moving into 2024, help us to be people who marvel. And maybe, maybe uh, someone here today, our face is a little bit dry, and, and Lord, I pray that you'd bring a freshness, that you'd wash that dryness away. You'd bring a freshness to that, their relationship with you. That we would, we would be marvelous, Lord, that you would astonish us, that, that we would step out of our comfort zones and live in faith. And Father, that we would be movers, people who, who don't just sit, but we would be people of action that actually move where you call us to go. Uh, Father, that we would listen and be in tune with your spirit and that we would be messengers, messengers of, of the good news, your good news, that you have come to save your people from their sins. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.